Welcome to Racket Fuel, where we launch into great conversations and share powerful tools to help you become a stronger rackets leader. Your hosts are Kim Bastable, a former All-American tennis player and now Director of Tennis Management at the University of Florida, and Simon Gale, the USTA National Campus Director of Racket Sports. Today on Racket Fuel, we'll hear from the energy source behind Padel in the United States, Marcos Del Pilar. Compared to Europe, the U.S. is late to join the Padel party, but Marcos's energy cannot be denied. From Spain, he brought the sport to the USTA's national campus, where it's become immensely popular. And he'll share about how your facility can build and monetize Padel. Now, here's Kim and Simon. Welcome to Racket Fuel. I'm Kim Bastable, and I'm here with my co-host, Simon Gale. How are you doing today, Simon? Fantastic, and I cannot wait to introduce Marcus to our audience today. Yes, we are thrilled to have Marcos Del Pilar as our special guest. While he hails from Spain, he currently calls Orlando, Florida his home, and he's regarded as the foremost global expert on Padel. You'll see that his enthusiasm shines through. In our conversation, you're going to feel his passion and ambitious outlook for propelling this game within the U.S. market. He's on a mission to establish Padel as the next prominent racket sport, bringing people together and making significant impact in the U.S. Thank you for being here, Marcos. We're excited. Hey, thank you very much. What an intro. Thank you very much. I I feel honored to be here and I'm really humbled, guys. So with people like you in the room, I should probably be quiet and listening and learning. So Thank you very, very much for the opportunity. It's a, it's a true honor, you know, being with such a big leaders, you know, in the industry. And it's, it's fantastic. Thank you for the invite, guys. Well, I think Simon and I, I know about as much in our pinky fingers as you know about Padel. So we don't want you to be silent. You got to talk. We need to know about this great sport. All right. Absolutely. Take it away, Simon. 100% agree. Marcus, we've worked together now for a couple of years at the national campus and been through a lot over those two years to, to get Padel into the campus as well as as build it to to, to where it is today. Um, and I've seen firsthand the impact it can have on a facility and the tremendous social aspect of the sport. And I think we're on the same page with what Padel does for people, first and foremost, in addition to what the sport is from a playing point of view. Can you talk a little bit to give some perspective to everybody the impact Padel has had globally? Because it's just getting started here, but it's huge in other parts of the world and your passion or mission to bring it to the, the U.S.? Well, as, as you said, uh, Simon, I think Padel is a, is, is a worldwide movement. So it's literally, you know, taking, taking the world by storm. I, I still remember six years ago, six or seven years ago, when I first came to the U.S., um, it might be kind of a dream of this crazy Spanish guy, you know, that is always talking about the same thing, you know, Padel, what is this guy talking about, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think it is not a dream anymore. It's a reality now. And uh, I could say that numbers uh, are speaking by themselves, you know, like with the hope of getting 85,000 courts uh, by 2026, you know, almost up. No, in fact, doubling, you know, the number of courts that we have today, 40K courts, you know, all over the world. And uh, expecting to have, you know, a $6 billion industry by 2026, you know, I think it is a, it's a no-brainer. So in the U.S., I, I would also say that uh, we'll be doubling the number of courts in one year. We'll be getting close to 500 maybe, you know, with expectations to have like several thousands by the end of the decade. So obviously, you know, 
My mission is in life, you, you both know it. You know, my mission in life is kind of growing Padel while, while creating opportunities for everybody. And after doing that for so many years in Europe, I had this, this big dream in my mind, like, hey, you know what? I want to go to the US. I want to build and conquer the largest market in the world. And uh, at that point, it sounds kind of crazy thought, you know, of a very humble and ordinary guy. Now we all can see that this is, as I told you, this is becoming a reality. So for the last six or seven years, I dedicated myself, you know, every single minute, you know, of my life to making this happen, you know, putting everything that I have inside and, and try to create opportunities for, for people and listen what we are today. So listen to this. So I'm, I'm, while talking, I'm realizing about the, the, uh, the big, you know, milestone that we just accomplished, you know, having this Padel talk, you know, of one of the biggest, you know, and top notch, you know, podcasts in the country talking about Padel. How cool is that, guys? So never, never in my life I, I could imagine this like six or seven years ago. Now, how cool is this that, you know, we all are, we all are having, you know, a talk about Padel in the industry. And, and this is one more time, you know, very inspirational to me because that means that dreams come true. You know, it's, it's a matter of dream, dreaming big and a matter of consistency. Well, and I think your, your passion is clearly obvious. It's, it's, it's coming through the the microphone as we speak, it's infectious. So people pick up on that. And I think great leaders have that level of passion and it is infectious and people want to come along for the ride. So I think you're definitely here and creating an impact. And uh, I think people are starting to see what this sport can do for people and how it can help a facility. I, you know, Simon, that I, I you know me, you know, a few years ago, Kim as well, but uh, I always had in my mind, something that some people couldn't see, you know, a few years ago. And I had that in my mind, like crystal clear. I was telling everybody, guys, get ready. The Padel wave is coming. I know what's going to happen because I've, I lived the same situation in a lot of countries in Europe before. And it's always the same story. It's very hard working at the beginning. I'm, 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 I'm here to do the job. You know, I'm here to keep pushing, you know, until we get to this tipping point and we convert, you know, and, and then we offer, you know, the tennis industry another alternative to keep growing. But I think that I was anticipating myself where the future was headed at that point, you know, because I had that in my mind. And by me talking about my own experiences, and we'll be talking about it later if you guys will, um, I think people can feel kind of uh, some true in there because I'm not making things up. I'm talking about my own experience. So I leave this situation already. That's why people are, are telling me like, Marcos, I mean, you are so focused, you know, you are so straightforward, you know, you know exactly, you know what the direction uh, you are going. I say, well, I don't think I'm the smartest guy in the world. It's a matter of having that in my mind because I lived that situation before. So it was a matter of just getting people convinced and probably just uh, validating some business model for some people to start believing. And now that this is a reality, now this is exploding. You know, Padel is a reality in the US. It's not a dream anymore. You know, everybody's talking about building facilities. Everybody is, is now willing to jump into the industry. And I'm happy to experience that, you know, uh, opening these opportunities for hundreds or thousands of new teaching professionals and, and investors and people and brands, you know, and broadcasters and everybody involved is something that is making me very proud, to be honest. Yeah, no, that I think this is actually a good time for us to maybe do that. Let's Let's go to the history uh, just a bit on Padel because I think it might be helpful for the U.S. listeners to understand the game a little bit. And I'm marveling when you said six or seven years. That puts you in the United States coming about 2017. Is that correct when you came yep. up? 
Yeah, well, yeah. Pickleball wasn't so huge at that time. It was getting there, but it wasn't quite the same. So I find it interesting that, you know, it, it's obviously Padel is a harder sport to build because it requires the infrastructure, but the landscape was different. So let's first talk, if you would, about how your experiences in Spain, if you give us just a quick backstory on what you've done, you know, previously across the pond, and then come back to what are the challenges that you faced as you've tried to do that over here? So let's start with step one there. Okay, let, let's try to make it short because I could be talking forever. You guys know that I'm so passionate on that that I could be talking for seven hours podcast. But let, long story short, you know, I, I, I come from the competition level, obviously. I used to be a tennis uh, player, and then a padel player, and then coach, touring coach, you know, for ATP players in tennis, then padel as well, blah, blah. So I ended up building my own facilities and my own businesses in Spain, five big locations with not only tennis, padel, but also, you know, uh, restaurants, hotels, different stuff, right? And, and we were pretty successful in there. And then I started to explore different opportunities in Europe. Uh, and I was having fun. To be honest with you, I was having a lot of fun by helping others to set up their own businesses and teaching them, you know, the way to become successful in the business and getting people inspired and coaching, you know, new coaches on how to teach and this stuff. Uh, but I always had in my mind, like, listen, you know what? I want to go to the US. It's the largest market in the world. I, I, I can feel it, you know, deep inside that we can make an explosion and we can change the world through Padel. And I had that, you know, in my mind, you know, and, and I couldn't stop until the opportunity came. And somebody called me one day and they say, hey, Marcos, there's an opportunity to go to Miami, you know, and are you ready for the challenge? I say, I'm in. I, I, I'll do whatever I need, you know, and I sold, you know, four facilities in there. And I said, hey, here is my bag. You know, I'm ready for the challenge because this is what I've been waiting for, you know, my entire life. So now we are getting to your second question. Like, okay, now we are in here in the US. Now we need to spread the word out and start, you know, explaining people what Padel is and, and going through all the challenges that we've been through, you know, all these six or seven years in my case, which are a lot to be honest with you. And I totally understand now when, when some directors or teaching professionals are willing to invest in Padel and they want to get involved and so on, I understand all these challenges, you know, because I was living, uh, you know, with them for, for a long time. So first one, I would say that uh, f the first one, of course, is selling the vision. You know, we need to look for these kind of visionaries that uh, can anticipate themselves for where the future is headed. So you cannot convince someone to go against their own principles. We need to find for these kind of profiles that are open to be disruptive, you know, and to look for different opportunities. And there are a bunch of them in the US, I can tell you. So a lot of people that are willing for just a little bit of push to say like, hey, go, bro, let's do it. Let's explore, you know, something that you are not used to. And then when we have, you know, found these kind of visionaries, I would say that the second big challenge is embracing Padel uh, to grow and offer more value to your current customers while also attracting, you know, a larger audience to our clubs, you know, and, and with different sports and social, you know, opportunities and everything. And I can tell you at this point, I think a lot of people initially underestimated the growth of the sport and that, you know, that they or we would be able to build, you know, sustainable momentum beyond the initial high. At the beginning, you know, I, I can say people say like, oh, well, maybe this is a trend, you know, for a couple of months and that's it. But now everybody's realizing like, hey, this is a reality. So we need to face that, right? 
So now that, um, and feel free guys to stop me whenever, because if not, you know, I'll, I'll go on for <laughs> forever. It's only a 30 minute show, Marcus. So we, <laughs> we might have to at some point. We have so much we want to get to, but keep going. We love it. Well, the, I would say, you know, try to go straight to the point, you know, some more challenges that people are, are living is, you know, how to include a new racket sport on the scene, you know, without view, viewing it, you know, as a, as a threat. You know, because some some of these directors could think like, hey, maybe, you know, a new offering is going to dilute or even cannibalize the pool of tennis players that we we have around. So obviously here the solution is that we need to make them understand that we need to pivot, you know, into a, a racket sport business instead of, you know, a, a tennis business at all. And And then the challenge is like, okay, where is the program, you know, and how can... We make the Padel program to fit in our different uh, offerings. How much education or instruction or uh, how much, you know, play-based opportunities we need to put in place. How much we should be pushing Padel for not cannibalizing, you know, or putting in danger our tennis business and so on. And obviously, you know, the last challenge I would say, obviously, is education for coaches. You know, we all are, we all are on the same industry. We know that we are living, you know, a lack of, of coaches and, and we also need to get people educated on Padel. To be able to grow the programs properly, I leave so it I there. Think to, to pick up on what you're, you're you're talking about there, I remember it seems a long time ago. It was probably two and a half years ago, sitting upstairs here at the campus with you, working out how we're going to launch this sport, how we're adding it to our our three racket sports now that we're going to have here. What does it look like? Where does programming fit? Where does social fit? Where does play fit? How do we de- develop a staff that can teach it? And so we've learned on the fly, I think what we rolled out day one versus what we look like now is very different. And I think that's part of this adopting something new is you have a vision for it, but what it actually will become will be dictated by your customers to an extent. So we've adapted to our customers, we've adapted to what their demands are, and we've, we've, we've been able to pivot quickly, make changes and give them what they need versus this is how it has to be to be successful. And so we've attracted a different audience here than, than I expected. It's a, it's, a, it's a new group of people who would never have come to the campus for tennis. So we've introduced people to our facility and hopefully there's some spin-offs for tennis as well. And I think, I think it's, it's been healthy for, for what we are and the activity that, that we have at the campus. So what I'm interested in is, is the business model when we've got listeners thinking about adopting this, what does that business model look like from a, you know, I've built my courts and now I need to launch it. How do I, how do I set up a business model where the blend of programming and, and play and the number of courts I might have versus, say, the large number of tennis courts I've got, how do I make that business model work for Padel? You, you, I couldn't agree more on everything that you said, uh, Simon. And uh, let me let me tell you publicly, you know, um, kudos to you, man, for for all the programs and everything that you did on campus. Uh, you made the the national campus not only a, an incredible success for tennis and other racket sports, but for padel as well. So, congrats. Um, being said that, I I agree. The, let me let me clarify two things because I I have a very particular way to to see the the racket industry and. And you guys can agree or not, maybe, you know, this is my way, you know, this is the way that I see the industry. To understand the business model, I think it is important. So I think we all need to make an effort to understand that we are not, or we are not only in the racket industry, 
but the experience slash emotions industry. I feel more comfortable saying that we are in the emotions industry. We're more than the racket industry. We don't, we don't usually sell even services. I know that we are making people happy with a racket in our hands, but we need to understand, you know, that we are on the emotions and messages and, and experiences industry. And second is something that you said that is really, really important. We all need to become more customer centric or member centric or whatever is, is the name that you want to use it for that. Because when you understand your audience and you understand, you know, what they are looking for and how to solve their pains, then you are always right. Some people are coming to us saying, hey, Marcos, all the programs that you guys are putting together, you know, are always a success. Uh, and I say, well, listen, I don't think I'm, I'm the smartest guy in the world. It's because I'm listening to my audience and I'm just pivoting and adapting the offering to what they are in need of. So understanding, you know, the audience and, and making those decisions always for and by them, you know, is, is crucial. But in order, you know, or just talking, you know, about monetization, which is, is part of the business model, I, I would put attention on, on two things. The first one is, uh, let me ask for, the, uh, let, let me get a study for the second one, which is the intang intangible monetization. So people only focus on, on revenue generators. You know, all the things that they are focusing on is, is how can we create more revenue? And they forget about this important one for me, at least, which is intangible monetization. You know, how can you improve your customer experience? You know, how can you uh, boost the engagement and rotation of members and also your own staff? You know, how you can design a career pathway for the people that is working for you so they all breathe, you know, kind of your philosophy. How can we sell our big why? You know, getting people to understand, our customers need to understand what our big why is, you know, what is what we are coming from and what is the main reason that we are doing things. And also, you know, focusing on, on different, you know, uh, statics like net promoted score, how to create referrals, you know, organic growth and this kind of stuff. And and this is a big piece of the things that we usually do for facilities on a consultancy basis, you know, because the growth is also coming from that side too. And you, you guys agree on this, on the intangible monetization? I think if you, if you take care of your customers and you have great staff and you, you, you listen to your customers and are constantly pivoting to make sure they're getting what they need, I think the money takes care of itself. 100%, Simon. That's always been my philosophy. And I think that's why we've worked well together is, you take care of the intangibles, it takes care of the, the finances. And I think that's worked for us here. So I agree 100%. So, being said that, then we, we could probably jump into the tangible monetization, you know, on, on how to create programs and activities that are uh, appealing for our audience, right? And uh, I would say that uh, at the beginning, you got to create, you know, based on your customer needs, you know, a basic program that you can grow along the way. Uh, but Something that is really important to me is how can you cross sell and upsell, you know, different activities, you know, and, and you can become very creative on this. Once again, by listening to your needs, you know, these kind of cross selling and upselling activities or, or strategies, you know, are, are increasing the average ticket, you know, which is something really, really important. And that is happening very organically. Um, I would also say that it's important. Um, to work on the, we are living the digital era, right? So we need to leverage, you know, different opportunities for people to make something that I teach in the certifications, you know, to make the click right away. We got to be able to design the customer journey for our customers, even before they get to know us for the first time. Everything got to be super, very well designed for creating opportunities for them to engage because we, we, we all think that people are just waiting for our emails and our proposals and everybody's busy. 
at that point, you know, we got to be able to drive them, you know, in this customer journey when they find it super easy to get engaged. And we got to be able to trigger, you know, our, our selling options, you know, when the opportunity comes and at the very right moment. So I would say that creating the right customer journey is, is something that is, is a must in this industry. I would also put attention on what I usually call the blue ocean. You also mentioned that before. You know, we got to be able to start looking for customers where, where, where there are no customers so far. Let's say that we got to be able to start attracting people that have never been attracted to racket sports because that is where the real challenge and the big opportunity for all of us is, right? Uh, also, and it's pretty easy. So it's just creating, you know, the need on people, you know, that has never been connected with any, any other racket spot. And by doing this, it's so amazing. The universe is so amazing because these guys are less price sensitive, obviously, because they are not coming from that world, you know. And second is because you create, you know, a, an engage and a loyalty program with them that is going out of charge. Because if you get to convince or you get to appeal or, uh, or instruct someone, you know, to get into this new sport and they are being happy with that, the power of, you know, retention and also the referrals, you know, is going like, like crazy. And that is what the net promoter score is going up to one. And, you know, these kind of numbers are working very properly. Last thing that I would mention, um, I would say that uh, we got to find a way to make ourselves absolutely different. And this is very connected, you know, with with selling our own identity, you know, we, we don't need to be like somebody else. We don't need to be like the other facility next door or whatever. We just need to find a way, our own personality, our own identity as a facility, selling our big why, because when people get to understand the big why of the facility, and that is usually coming from the leadership team or the managers, people get attracted to, to do and resonate with your big why. And when that happens, this is kind of the, the end of the story. Because when customers feel uh, this feeling of belonging and they feel that they belong to the community, at that point, they will follow you forever. So the rest is history. Then you can offer whatever you want because they will be following you no matter what. I usually use this as an example, but in my previous experience in Europe, we were basically offering, you know, crazy, crazy products, you know, and crazy activities and services in our rackets facility. We're, we're selling ski trips. We were... You know, going hang away, you know, like for, for a weekend, we were selling rollers. We were, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter when you have activated this strong feeling of belonging, you know, uh, everything is easier. And that is always coming, you know, from customer journey and everything that I said. No, that's, that's very good, Marcos. Very, very good. And I think going back to your experience in, in Europe, I, I think what people in America would love to understand, since Padel is kind of new to us. What what is the crossover effect? Um, I think I've heard that there have been many tennis courts in Spain that have been eliminated, and that Padel has popped up in you know many 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 and become highly prominent. I don't know what the exact data is around that. Uh, I think that would of course be a fear um, in the world of tennis in America if that was true. I don't know that it needs to be that by any means. I'd love, I think people would be very encouraged to know what's the crossover data that maybe the campus has experienced between sports. You've brought in new Padel people. Do they dabble in pickleball? Do they dabble in tennis? They're new to your facility or do they stay only in, in Padel? Do the tennis people who leave tennis to go try Padel, do they go back to tennis or do they forever leave? 
What, what's been happening? How's the crossover in your experience, both in Europe and in the U.S.? Well, that's a very interesting point, Kim. Thank you for addressing that. I would say that um, I don't think we need to, f- to feel any fear at all. If, if we do the right thing, you know, and we grow the sport with sustainability in the long term and with the right map of alliances within other racket sports, you know, respecting, you know, tennis and pickleball and so on. Based on my experience, I, I literally double my income in my own facilities by adding padel. And I never jeopardized, you know, my, uh, my existing tennis business. It was just simply the opposite. You know, I started to bring, you know, more and more people that were not connected with tennis for whatever is the reason. And I was able to, to create these cross-selling strategies for people to, to get more often to my facility and, and to spend more money at the end of the day. Because, I mean, all of us, obviously, running facilities want to create more, more revenue, right? But you got to be smart doing this. I think that Padel is the perfect complement for tennis. I don't see a lot of courts being, you know, demolished, you know, for building tennis courts, to be honest with you, because the way that I see the, the industry growing in the U.S. is mainly in two ways. One is, you know, Padel venues only, and this is already happening, you know, a lot of warehouses and a lot of, you know, uh, uh, lots, you know, where some people, you know, are building Padel itself and that's it. And the second big opportunity or pathway that I see in here is that adding Padel as an amenity for a, an existing tennis or, or racket facility as a way to boost, you know, the, the power of attraction and the power of retention. So based on what I was telling you before, if we know how to operate, you know, the parallel market and we start attracting people that are not coming to our existing tennis facilities for whatever is the reason, what we are doing is reinforcing our tennis or pickleball or other programs. So we just need to be smart enough and creative enough to, to start, you know, focusing on the right direction instead of trying to fight for the existing customers. So I never, I never feel competition in my life at all. So I'm not going to feel it now, you know, with tennis. I come from tennis too. I love tennis. So it doesn't make any sense to me like, hey, we are trying to capture tennis players to bring them into Padel. Of course not. I mean, that will happen, you know, organically. Some tennis player will be playing Padel as well. That's fantastic. Uh, but uh, the main challenge for us and the big business, you know, for all of us is how to start attracting these 300 million play- people that are not in the racket industry. I would say that uh, we, uh, we don't have any, any competition in, in, within racket sports. Our competition is in activity is don't take me wrong with this. Then I, I know the main guy in Netflix, so please don't take me wrong with this, but our competitor is maybe Netflix or video games or something like that. You know, it's, it's not, I don't see any competition in tennis or pickleball at all. It's just the opposite. If we are smart enough, and we have a great example in here with Simon that is running an incredible, one of the biggest and, and, and most important facilities in the world, and he is creating this kind of proposal, mixed proposal, where, where we are addressing and bringing people from all different angles to the same spot to, to live, you know, together and to enjoy together and to boost our programs together. So I'm, I'm obviously the godfather of Padel and some people say, but I'm, I'm a big supporter of tennis as well, for sure. You know, I'm, 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 I'm willing to do that. And I, I can envision this happening in, in the future. I don't think tennis court should be demolished and I don't think it's going to happen to be, I mean, in, in maybe one or two places it will happen for sure, but that is not the way. Well, I love. I've learned something here. I've got a new name for you, the Godfather of Padel. I love it. So I'm going to adapt. Well, they, I mean, I've been in a couple of interviews and they, they started, 
they started to use that and they are telling me all the time. So that's that's a big honor. You know, the godfather of Padel in the US is a big honor. But I've called you Mr. Padel, but going forward, you will be the godfather. I'll run with that. I, I'm Marcos. Marcos is enough. You know, Marco, I, I love Marcos. I want to get back to something that, that you've talked about there because it was kind of what my next question was. So I think what we've seen here at the campus is it's attracted a new community of people who are spending money at your facility, right? So from a, if it was at a country club, the, the, the family members who maybe don't come and play tennis are now coming into the racket space and spending money. And you know what happens. We've seen it where these people have families and they bring them and they try tennis or they try exactly. pickleball and they're investing in your facility. These are people we would never have gotten to the, to the campus to play tennis. But perhaps now there's a chance that they add tennis or their kids come and try tennis. And we're seeing tennis players not drop tennis, but add Padel to their experience. So therefore, they're spending more money. And, and as you said, that ticket price, if we can upsell our current customers to spend 10% more, that's much easier than finding new customers, who we obviously want, and we will invest in finding them. But the low-hanging fruit are your current customers. So I think it has only added. And the last thing I would say that's worked well for us here is these tri-racket sports events where we get people to come in and they play all three sports and then they're left with an option of which sport would I like to gravitate towards or we're getting local businesses to come and try three three sports and they at least are coming to become part of the the percentage who are starting a racket sport versus doing nothing and so I've seen nothing but health for our program and I think knowing you have an extensive tennis background I think that helps with understanding the model versus it's just a Padel world you live in. I think you understand exactly how this can work because you've done it before. So thank you for sharing that. I agree. I agree hundred percent. But what if you could do both things? What if you could attract, you know, a new entire ecosystem of players that have never visited your facility and also, you know, designing a customer journey, not only for that activity for Padel, but also for the rest of your existing programs you know, and you can accelerate the way that these, these players are getting engaged and spending money in your facility. So both things at a time are making, are making an explosion. And based on my experience in the US, a lot of directors, you know, are struggling because maybe they, they are not creating this customer journey. You know, they are not designing, you know, the different touch points for the customers, you know, where, where we can activate or boost their engagement and try to sell more. Selling, don't take me wrong, is selling without selling. It's just a matter of creating a need for them and just putting yourself in the middle of the equation. So when they have a need, you resolve the need, and then they, they, they will be always so appreciative for you at the same time that they are spending more and more and more money on your facility. And also, they, they boost their feeling of belonging, so they are telling everybody about it. So it's, it's kind of the chicken and egg, you know, but designing this customer journey, in my opinion, is absolutely crucial because you know where to put the attention in which moments and everything is under the same umbrella. That's why, you know, I think where the success is coming from. But you, you, obviously you guys know about it better than, than I do. Okay, Marcos, you've sold us. You've sold everybody who's listened to this. What does a director or somebody who says, okay, I'm in, I want Padel at my club. What are their steps? What do they, what can they do? Because it is new. And it's, it's probably going to take a learning curve. What do you recommend? 
Well, uh, the way that I usually do that, you know, on, on a consultancy basis is at the very beginning, try not to spend a lot of time on the on the building the financial model or whatever until you get the right location. Because some people are doing the opposite. They are working on different business models, you know, the pro formats and everything without having the location. And then it's basically wasting your time because you don't know how the facility is going to work until you get the location. So, But when you get the location, second step, Obviously, it's getting in touch with someone that can give you some advice, you know, on, on different proposals for building courts, you know, and, and as soon as you get this option, start working, you know, on permitting and zoning and everything that got to come, you know, from a local, a local partner and also the, the general contractor. And uh, as soon as you get this done, or at the same time that you are working on this, start working, you know, on a program uh, and, and start building the pool, you know, of of future clients and start building your personal brand, which is where the main challenge is. So start building your own identity, your big why, you know, in advance, instead of just waiting until you open doors. Because when you open doors, you think like, oh, now it's time to start promoting and, and start attracting my customers. And I usually say, that is too late, bro. You should have done this before, you know? And by doing that, you are getting like three or four months in advance where you are actually building your pool of players and designing these programs. So when you are opening and you can work on different strategies like pre-sale or something like that, which is pretty easy. How cool is this? You know, and we've lived this situation several times where you are actually getting the money in advance. So basically you are getting the money, you know, for for the expenses that you are getting involved with the, with the construction in advance before you are putting the course together instead of just doing the opposite making all the investment in advance then waiting and just praying and looking at the sky saying, hey, I hope that they love what I'm doing. So it's kind of lean startup mentality. You know, you got you to gotta learn and pivot along the way and making the right steps. But uh, I would say, I don't know if I was clear enough with this kind of small step-by-step, -step, but that is, that is the way that I usually do that. Well, are you willing to be a point person for consultation for our listeners? I think that would be a question. Or is there a pool of people or a website or what would you say? It is somewhat new still in the U.S. So what, what, what do you recommend? Well, I'm, I'm happy to do that. You know, this is part of, part of the services that our company uh, obviously offers, you know, but yeah, why not? You know, I, I love doing that. Whether we ended up getting into a business relationship or not, I'll, I'll always be happy to help everybody willing to invest in Padel and growing the sport. So obviously, this is one of the services that we that we provide, designing the customer journey and helping people to monetize better and, and how to become successful in Padel. So feel free to contact me if, if someone is interested. And if not, you know, I'll be doing that anyway, you know, like giving some directions, I'll be happy to do that. Well, maybe we should just do a quick backstory. I, I don't even think we've identified the roles that you've had. You have been president of the U.S. Padel Association, but what is your current, and you're at the campus, but not in the same role you were two years ago. So what is your current exact exact role? Maybe that would be helpful. Well, I do I do a bunch of things, but uh, let's say that I'm co-founder and commissioner for the Propa the League, which is a uh, you know a beautiful initiative that we put together. You, you guys know about it. I also work you know as as founder and president of a company that is providing consultancy services for venture capitals, investment groups, and entrepreneurs that are willing to land their investments in the U.S. And in addition to that, we also provide education for coaches and. Um, and I work as 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 Padel consultant for the USDA National Campus with Simon, hand by hand. But let's say that my my main priority now is obviously Pro Padel League, 
and the consultancy basis for, for investment groups. So Marcus, we've touched on a lot a lot today and I think that's it's it's been a lot to digest because you're so passionate about it and, and we could make this a two or three hour conversation, but we condense it into know. thirty minutes. Could you maybe just try and summarize for, for our audience maybe two or three clear takeaways on, on, on your Padel message? Yeah. Let me come back to the to the very beginning. I would say first thing, let's talk about the business model, which is I think it is is the most important thing maybe for, for people. We are I would say that we need to understand that we need to create memorable moments and, and creating emotion in our customers as our best way to sell. And there are, you know, many, many ways to trigger these emotions, but you gotta design them in advance. So that's why uh, the customer journey and designing all these strategies are important in advance. We cannot randomly work, you know, or just simply wait for people to come and have fun. It's not enough. You gotta plan the journey. Um, second is probably becoming customer journey. Uh, becoming, sorry, customer-centric or member-centric, you know, understanding, you know, your audience is, is a must and, you know, focusing on this intangible monetization that we were talking about plus the tangible monetization and, and be generous, man. Uh, it's, it's a matter of be generous and being great people, you know. Um, I usually say that we all need to make an effort to deserve the good things that are happening to us instead of chasing them. So I think that the better person we become and the better human beings we become, you know, the more we deserve and, and life will pay us back with this. How cool is that? Well said, my friend. Well said. Well said. Well said. That's, that's what I found Fidel to be in my life. It's an incredible experience of, of just positive nature. And I still play plenty of tennis. You know, I just think it is an excellent addition to the world we, the rackets world we now live in. And I look forward to the day when it's more prominent, you know, and easier to find a court around our country as it is in Europe. So we are, it's clear to see that your passion is huge and you've done what you've done in Europe has been top notch. And we are getting some of that here in America. So thank you for your time. We um, hope our listeners take this to heart. They build very good, strong Padel programs and they don't just build courts and hope people come. So that's that's not going to be a win, as 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 we know. So thank, thank you. you today, and and we're excited for the future of Padel. And that's all today on Racket Fuel. Vamos! That's all for today, but we're not out of fuel. You can find more information and resources in our show notes and by visiting RacketFuelPodcast.com. If you liked what you just heard, please subscribe and also leave a review, which helps other people join the mission to become stronger Rackets leaders. This podcast is a production of Athlete Plus, the people, stories, and science behind elite athletes and teams. Athlete Plus is the official podcast network of the Institute for Coaching Excellence, a research, education, and outreach center in the College of Health and Human Performance at the University of Florida. The Institute for Coaching Excellence offers various online certificate programs and degrees in partnership with the Department of Sport Management. Learn more today at coaching.hhp.ufl.edu.